Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. And it is so good to see you guys here. And um, I, I am so excited about what I get to share. And uh, we're going to jump right in because I have a message in my heart that I pray would encourage every single person in this room. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about where we're headed in just a second. But I want to kick things off with a scripture that I read years ago. And I feel like this scripture jumped off the page at me. I don't know about you, but I have read certain Bible passages my whole life, learned them in Sunday school, whatever it might be. And then I'll be like just sitting there and I'm reading something. And it's like I see it for the first time from a completely different perspective and angle. And so I want to read this. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 17. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is talking to a church in Corinth. This is this place where he is writing a church that he helped start. And now he's giving them this letter. And he says, now I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. And just time out real quick to any of the pregnant moms. If you're looking for baby names, th- there you go. You're welcome. Um, just thought I'd throw that in there. Nobody says, I rejoice at the coming of these people because, listen to this, because they have filled up your deficiency. This is interesting to me. One translation says it this way. They have supplied what is lacking in you. And I don't know about you, but there's kind of somewhere buried deep inside of me, this thought that the longer that I follow God, the more I will be self-sufficient. Like the longer that I do the right things and I put God first, the more my life will be all together and I really won't need people. But this is interesting. Actually, one of my, my friends, Pastor Noah, who has an amazing church in Lakewood, Ohio, he likes to say it this way. He says, God made you deficient by design. Like in other words, he made you to need other people. He just did. God loves to make it so that we have to need each other. This is why we say at our church, it's one of our core values. We're better together. We just are better together than we are apart. Think about this. God calls Moses, remember through the burning bush, to go and to rescue his people from Egypt. They've been enslaved to Pharaoh for 400 years, and Egypt is the most powerful empire on planet Earth. There had never been anything like it to that point, and God appears to Moses, and he says, you're going to be the one that is my mouthpiece. You're going to tell them, let my people go, and I'm sure most of us can relate to Moses in this moment because he's got a whole list of reasons why God shouldn't use him, like why you should try to find somebody else because you got the wrong person. You remember one of the biggest ones? He said, I have a stuttering problem, so you want me to go and speak And I can't even rub two sentences together, but you want me to tell Pharaoh, let my people go? And I was reading this recently, and it just jumped out at me. I want you to think about this. God could have, because he's God, he could have instantly snapped his fingers and healed Moses of his stuttering problem, but he doesn't do that. Actually, what he says is, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron, and he's going to speak for you. In other words, God made Moses with something missing so that he could have someone else that could help fill in the gaps. God fills in the gaps of our life through other people, through relationships. Think think about this, like how often do we think God's grace on us means he'll eliminate our weakness and deficiencies, but maybe he's saying, I'll give you friends, relationships to walk through this journey with you together. God made Adam with something missing. Think about this. He's in this perfect, beautiful place, this paradise called Eden. He's got everything he could ever want. And God is observing him and he's watching that he's alone. And what does he say? He said, you know what? It's not good that man should be alone. 
any, any dad that has had his kids alone for the weekend while your wife is out of town, you know it is not good for man to be alone. He makes Adam with something missing. Now think about this. Then he creates Eve. And what does he do to make Eve? He takes something from Adam and gives it to Eve. And he makes Eve from that thing. In other words, he says, hey, this is interesting. I want you to need something from each other. You have something that she needs and she has something that you need. I'm making you as compatible together, companions with each other. And this is interesting because I got to be honest, just a confession in the house of God. Most of my prayers early in marriage were, God, can you just make Aaron more like me? <laughs> like things would go a lot better if she would just think like me and, and do the things the way that I do them. And, and I'm sure some of us can relate to that. We haven't been married super long, but we're going on almost 15 years. And I can tell you like the first five years of my marriage, it was just me trying to make her look more like me. And it did not work really well. And I would recommend not trying to do that. But really what God wants us to do is to begin to realize that we're deficient by design and that he puts relationships strategically in our lives that help fill in the gaps so that we can do life together. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we talked about healthy relationships and your eyes are kind of glazing over and you're like, God, really like another week about relationships. I don't know if I can do it one more week. And, and, and listen, I could come at this from like a psychological standpoint and and they tell us that you are the sum total of your five closest relationships in your life. Have you ever heard this research that if you were to look at the five closest relationships, they dictate what you eat and consequently how you look and what you weigh. They even dictate how much you make. They say that if you would take the sum total of all the five closest people in your life, their salary and average it out, it would average out to your salary. Some of y'all are like, I need some better friends. Come on, right? Like <laughs> kidding, kidding. Those things are important, but I, I maybe want to just frame it even different today. Here's why I think relationships matter so much. It's because our connections shape our calling. Our connections shape our calling. God works and he moves through relationships. I want you to think about this. I bet one of the primary reasons you date the person you date, you're married to the person you're married to, is through relationships. Think about it. I bet one of the reasons you decided to go to the school that you're at or the college that you're at is because of relationships. And although I love to think that you come to BC for some small reason because of me, I have a guess that probably even the reason that you're sitting in this room right now started through relationships with people that you deeply trusted and you wanted to do life with them and you find yourself with common goals and on the same trajectory in life. It was relationships that even drew you to this community of Believer's Church. I think about how God has worked through relationships in my life and in the life of others. Think about this guy named Lou. It was through a relationship with this young guy named Joe, who was 19 years old at this gritty gym on the corner of 224 and Market Street in 1979 called the Steel Valley Barbell Club. This guy, Lou, comes up to who is my dad now, Joe, and he starts to tell him through relationships about this man named Jesus, and it begins to change him from the inside out. And I think about simultaneous to that in Chicago, there's this young lady named Gina and her twin sister, Lori, and her mom, Jean, and they're in a single parent family and they're going through a lot of difficult things. And God works through this pastor couple named the Weavers, and they just start loving on these little kids and telling them about Jesus. And, and my mom meets Jesus. And then it's through that relationship that she ends up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to go to this Bible college she's never heard of. 
but it just seemed right through relationships. And my grandpa at the time tried to bribe her to stay and go to a good school in Chicago. And he said, you can have a credit card with no limits on it. My grandpa has a lot of money. He's like, I'll make it very comfortable for you. But it was through relationships that she said, no, 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 I'm gonna brave some discomfort because I feel God's calling me here. And it's at that very Bible school that my parents meet each other. Pastor Graham and Lori meet each other. Then they moved back to Warren, Ohio in 1983. And it's through relationships that God calls my dad to start a church in Warren, Ohio, the last place on earth he ever thought he would come back to because he was in Warren, Ohio before he knew Jesus. Anybody have some BC days that you wish nobody knew about? And and God calls him to pastor those people. I even think about Impact Summer Camp going on 19 years ago, and I'm, I'm there at this Christian summer camp, and this girl could not stop looking at me. Her name was Aaron Richards. I might be rewriting the story a little bit, but um. No, I couldn't stop thinking about this girl. And I just, it was through relationships. And just even my brother, Steve, I didn't have, I talked about her all week, but my brother-in-law, Steve, my now brother-in-law, who's just my friend at the time, made it really awkward and went across the cafeteria and made her come back to my table. And I'm so thankful for Steve. It was through relationships. I met my wife. Come on, somebody. And that's pretty cool. But don't send your kid to camp. They might come back with a spouse, you know? No, but. But I think about this, we later discovered that her parents and my parents all met each other at this Bible college, were all there at the same time and didn't know each other. And then 20 years later, through relationships, we connect. Don't tell me God doesn't work through relationships. Last one I think about is my parents, when they were going through a very difficult time about 15 years ago, and they were, they were thinking about just moving back to my mom's hometown and starting a church there, just kind of starting over in life. They had been through a lot of pain. And I remember I was in my early 20s and I had to preach that weekend knowing that my dad, nobody else knows this except our family. My dad is in Chicago looking for where they're gonna live and I don't feel called to go there. And I'm just like, what is gonna become of me? And, and I just remember it was through relationships and the kindness of people that really cared about my dad. There were two pastors in particular that flew out on their own dime just to spend time with them, just to listen to them, just to cry with them, just to encourage them. And I don't believe we would be standing here today if it wasn't for those people that were invested in relationships in that part of their life. I want you to think about the relationships that God has strategically put in your path. He's rescued me through relationships. He's pointed me on the right path through people. And that's why this weekend is so important because BC is built on relationships. And so I want you to think about this. If you were to go to Amazon right now, There are thousands of books about relationships. There are thousands of people with thousands of theories about the best way to have relationships. But I just wanna wanna say this, and I mean it with all of my heart. The Bible is the best book on relationships you will ever read. And so today, we're just gonna crack open the Bible a little bit, and we're just gonna ask some questions that I think will be helpful. And before we jump in, I just wanna give one disclaimer. You know, as a pastor, my my wife and I, we, we have determined in our hearts, we settled this, Three years ago now, we, we had been, I had been in the same church my whole life, and I was just feeling restless, and I didn't know why. And I always said, I'm going to be here my whole life because I just felt called here. But we were going through some difficult things, and there wasn't clarity on where we were supposed to be. And I don't know if you've ever just been through that season where you just feel restless. And so 
we just, we, that summer, I think we went to like four or five different camps or conferences or places. And, and then we took a little bit of some time off. I had never taken more than two weeks off from ministry back to back. And we were just kind of tired. And so we spent this summer just seeking God and asking him what's next for us. And at the end of that summer, the thing we could not escape is that we were called to these relationships. Every time we would think about a place where we could make a little bit more money or the place that had a little bit more sun, come on, somebody, like just what we just came back. We just saw your faces. I didn't even know some of you yet, but I just saw faces in the future and relationships are what kept us here. And, and we have settled in our heart. We know I feel called to this community the rest of my life. I just do. And so here's my heart and my desire for you is that we want to watch you grow up in God. We want to watch your kids grow up and serve God, and it will be through relationships. So I want to say this, because this, there's something unique happening at BC. And I also want to say there are unique things happening everywhere. BC's nothing special or, or elite or anything like that. But there are some cool things that I'm watching, and I want to just make sure you see, you see it. And so I just asked Michaela in, in the office, can you just give me some numbers? And, and Sam in the office, they just started crunching numbers. And I wanted to know, what is like the average age of an attender here? I was just curious. And so this is cool. Um, 35% of our church is under the age of 29 years old. That's interesting. 39% uh, or 35. Now, if you went up to the year 39, age of 39, 51% are under the age of 39. Now that's really cool. But let me say this. There's a lot of churches that can reach really young people, sometimes at the expense of people that are more seasoned saints. You like how I said that? And uh, you've known the Lord a long time. But, but then there are a lot of churches that reach seasoned saints to the neglect of young people. And I just love that we are in a church that reflects a family of God. There's people that are young and there are people that are not, and they just love each other and walk through life together. So listen to this. This is exciting. After that 51% under the age of 39, there's almost an equal representation in every decade. This is cool. 13% are 40 to 49 years old. 13% are 50 to 59. 15% are 60 to 69. Like we jumped up in that age group. I don't know why, but I like it. And I even love this stat. 7% are 70 plus. Like, come on, can we give it up for the 70 plus people? Like they're putting up with how many decibels we're hitting them with and they're putting their earplugs in and they are just loving Jesus. And I just, I applaud that. I really do. I, I do. It's, it's amazing to me. And this is what a family of God ought to look like. So here's why I say all of that. I feel this responsibility as a pastor with this many singled and young married couples. I feel my, a responsibility to talk to them every now and then. And so I'm gonna ask you, if you're not in that category, which by the way, I had an epiphany in the first service, you're either single or you're married. Like <laughs> you fall into either of these categories. But anyways, um, if, if you don't feel like this message is just speaking directly to you, um, I'm gonna just ask you, can you, truly hungry people can find food in anything. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're hungry for God, you can get fed on just about anything. But there's 52 weeks in a year. So if you can just be excited and pulling for your kids and your grandkids and the young adult next to you and the married couple that's going through a difficult time. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Can you help me finish my message this weekend? Can you finish it over a coffee at the coffee house? Can you finish it in your connect group? And, and there might be some things I can't cover or go deeper in, but there's gonna be somebody that's hungry and looking for your wisdom and your, your knowledge, and you're gonna be able to do something and say something I can't. And can I also just talk to the young people? I hope you know how blessed you are. And this pandemic has taught me how blessed I am because you just are never guaranteed another day with some of the people that are older than us. And there are, there are things that 
I glean. Like even this week, I was at coffee with a good friend that, that has been in our church for a really long time. Uh, Bob Morris, he's sitting right there. Can we give it up for Bob Morris? He's, come on, that's, he's been at our church since almost day one, I wanna say, right? And I'm telling you, I'm learning from him and I'm, I'm asking him questions and I've done it with a lot of you because I recognize how blessed I am. And so if you could just, if you could just give me a little bit of help there. And um, I, think it'll really, I think it'll really bless you. So today, here's all that to say. We're gonna talk to single people. We're gonna talk about dating. We're gonna talk about marriage relationships, all right? And so I think this is gonna be helpful. I promise I didn't plan this because it's Valentine's weekend. I swear I forgot all about it. I'm sorry, Aaron, I love you. Um, I was thinking about last year, Sometimes you just make mistakes as a pastor. And I, I made this announcement to our young adult group ahead of time that we're gonna be talking about dating and sex. And like half of them didn't show up. And like, I was like, I shouldn't have told them that. I shouldn't have told them that. So that's why I didn't post anything because I wanted to ambush you with God's goodness. All right, so um, no, but you know what was so cool? Even in that moment, we had these married couples and we had singles in the room. And how cool is it when you have a room full of people, the married people can say, hey, these are the mistakes we made. We'd love for you to just avoid those. Better to learn through our mistakes than have to learn through, through your own. And it was incredible just to watch going around the room and just shared experiences. And single people were asking the married people questions. And what a beautiful model of what the church is supposed to look like. So without any further ado, we're gonna jump in. I only have two points today. Two points in this message. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Healthy relationships are built on the right foundation. Healthy relationships are built on the right foundation. Maybe you could say this, healthy relationships with others hang on a healthy relationship with God. I always think about one of my favorite scriptures whenever I'm talking to a young person, and for whatever the reason, maybe because I used to be a youth pastor or because I get to speak at camps and conferences a lot, I'm just around young people all the time. And so we end up having some of the same conversations. And it's, it's interesting I was even just thinking about this. One of the stats that they found out is that the age of 35, those people that are in our church under the age of 35, 60% of them are single. So there's just a lot of us asking the same questions. And, and one of the scriptures I come back to every time is Matthew 6.33. You probably know this one. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto you. And so the context there is Jesus talking about temporal things. Man, how am I gonna know where my next meal is gonna come from or what clothes I'm gonna get to wear or where I'm gonna live? And I just love that God cares about the things that we need in our life and he's not bothered by that. But I love that Jesus takes the attention off of the temporal and he says, if you can put your focus on the eternal, I'll take care of the temporal. If you can put your focus on me first, if you can have the right foundation, a relationship with me, putting Jesus in the driver's seat, then guess what? I'll add everything else to your life. And I really believe including a spouse, including somebody that you can be on the journey of life together with. It's the foundation, the first relationship. And so maybe you could say it this way. If you're looking for a good friend, have a good friendship with Jesus first. Build on that foundation. If you're looking for a healthy marriage, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. So have a good marriage with Jesus first, and then your marriage will take care of itself. This sounds kind of counterintuitive, but if you can put your spouse in the second priority spot, you'll have an incredible marriage. 
Like in my marriage, as counterintuitive as it feels, my goal is God, then Aaron, then my kids, then my work, and everything else flows from that. And so it's the foundation first helps me in every other relationship in my life. So, hey, we're going there today. I just want to, let's, let's address like a huge question. This is a question I've probably heard a million times growing up in church, but just in general. How do I find the one? This is a big question, right? Our culture loves to ask this. How do I find the one? Who's that one person out there that was made for me, that I'm supposed, my soulmate. We love to use that word, right? It's my soulmate. I want to start by just recommending a really great book. This is a book that I think every single person, young or old, should, should read. It's called Outdated by Jonathan Picluda. Outdated by Jonathan Picluda. And he will say things and go places I can't go in 30 minutes. And I highly recommend getting that book. But one of the things that he does in this book is just a cultural commentary on kind of where we are as a society, especially when it comes to dating and relationships and even sex. One of the things that he points out is that even the term dating is kind of a relatively new term. Like it actually only goes back about 120 years. I'm going to be careful how I say this, but but really in, in those days when they would talk about dating, it was a euphemism for prostitution. And so it was this exchange and each person had something that the other wanted. It was transactional. And so this is interesting because if you fast forward to the year 2022, not much has changed, right? Like if we're not careful, we can approach dating as a transaction and we can build things on the foundation of the physical and we miss out on the whole meaning of dating to begin with. Like I know so many people in our culture they're kind of more in love with the process of dating than they are in the purpose of dating. And so there's kind of this cycle that we go through and it's the age of Tinder and one night stands and swipe right and, and you name it. And so we go through all of these people and it's all in this pursuit of finding the one, finding this person. And I just think if we build on that foundation of the physical, we're missing a big component. I wonder if there is a better way to build our relationships. Here's the problem with the question. This question, how do I find the one, is built on something that I think is maybe a misunderstanding. It's built on this implication that somewhere floating cosmically through the universe, almost like a unicorn or a fairy, there is this perfect person just for me. They're perfect in every way. They're perfectly compatible with me. They have everything that I want. We're on this constant hunt in our singleness for the perfect spouse. And here's the problem. The longer we search, the longer our list becomes of what we're looking for in a spouse. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the odds of us finding someone become smaller and smaller the longer we walk through this dating scene. And then here's, here's what happens. When our marriage finally does happen, we enter the marriage with this unrealistic expectation, really an impossible expectation of what our spouse can give us. And when the butterflies go away and the goosebumps aren't there and we wake up and they have morning breath and, and they don't treat us nice and the honeymoon is over. Aaron's the only one that's ever had to smell morning breath. She doesn't get it. But and when the honeymoon is over, here's, here's the lie that the enemy sells us and even what we might buy into because our culture tells us this, that I must have missed the one. 
And so we feel stuck in our marriage and in our relationship and we start to wonder. And then that person at work starts to smile at us and then they, they send us a message on Messenger and they're giving us attention. And every time I come home, we just have challenges and problems and money issues and fights and difficulty. And, and because we, we built our relationship on the wrong foundation, then it affects our marriage in very negative ways. I want to think about this in, in our own lives. Maybe we do find the person that we feel is the one, but because we've dated the world's way and because we've seen singleness from our culture's perspective, by the time we find somebody that we think is the one, we're dragging all the baggage and the drama and the trauma from the 10 or 15 past relationships. And we have all these soul ties and these soul connections. And then we wonder why marriage isn't working. Could there be a better way? Could God's way be better? I think about this. Most affairs are rooted in a fairy tale. Think about this. We teach our girls from the youngest of ages, hey, one day you're gonna have your Prince Charming. And listen, I have a daughter and I have some pretty high standards for who is gonna walk her hand down the aisle. I really do. I mean, like, I'm, I'm gonna be tough on them, but, but I, I know better than to think that. And so our movies and our novels, they teach girls one day, Prince Charming is going to ride on his noble white steed, and, and he is going to sweep you off of your feet, and he's going to rescue you, and you will never have any conflict or problems. He'll be perfectly compatible for you. And I'm going to be a little bit crass at the risk of being crass. Can I say that, that our culture has taught our little girls to look for Prince Charming and has taught our boys to look for porn stars? And then we get into a relationship, and we wonder why it's sabotaged from day one. Could it be that there's a better way to do this? Then we look at Hollywood couples and we, we think they'll somehow help us to get through a relationship. Kim Ye, rest in peace, and Benifer. And, and it's just always the latest relationship. And, and here's the crazy thing. They're the best looking people. They have the most money. They have everything you could ever think you would need in a relationship, but they're still not satisfied, still going through this cycle. But we almost worship the way that they do relationships. And I just wonder, maybe we're building relationships on the wrong things. Here, I'm going to say something that might surprise you. I, I think this is powerful. I think, I think this is more important. This is bigger than compatibility. It's a covenant. It's not built on convenience. It's built on commitment. It's not compatibility. It's a covenant. I, this is gonna this is gonna sound weird, but I love my wife with all of my heart. I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world. She knows that. I know she is beauty, and I'm the beast. I'm aware of that. It must mean I'm kind of charming. I don't know. I'll take that as a compliment. Somehow I got her. But that's. I, I just want to say this. But I'm not married to Aaron because we're compatible for each other. She's not married to me because we're compatible. Let me explain this. I have never, not once been hot when she's cold. And all you couples know what I'm talking about. I, I have never wanted the covers when she didn't want the covers. And I've never been cold when she's hot. We don't align that way. I've never been in the car and wanted my temper. Thank God. You know what saved a lot of marriages? Temperature control on each side of the car. Just want to thank you, God, for that. That's why we're still standing today. No, but we're not perfectly compatible. I usually don't want to go to the restaurant she wants to go to and vice versa. And she never knows where she wants to go anyway. So <laughs> I'm having fun. Here's one I don't even like admitting, but I'm being vulnerable here. I'm taller than Aaron standing up, 
but she's taller than me sitting down. And no, I'm not going to show you. So don't even ask. (laughs) And if we are sitting together, I will have a cushion under my rear end before I let you see how much shorter I am than her sitting down. But listen, could she have found somebody that was a more perfect match for her in the height or the restaurants she chooses, or the things that she likes or dislikes. Yeah, but this is deeper than like eHarmony, 32 dimensions of compatibility. This is deeper than compatibility. It's a holy covenant before God. It's in sickness and in health. It's for better or for worse, till death do us part. This is what it looks like to have a relationship that is built on the right things. Ephesians 5.25 says it this way. Husbands, Go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. I like this. A love marked by giving, not getting, because Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. So let's go back to this original question. How do I find the one? Maybe we could just ask a better question. And here's what I think the better question is. How do I become the one? God, how could I become the one that my spouse is looking for? How could I become a best version of myself that honors you? I won't be perfect, but how can I become the one so that the one that's looking for me can find me? And to oversimplify it, I really believe this. The only way to become the one is to make Jesus number one. It goes right back to who's in the first place in our life. What is the foundation we are building our life on? Because every healthy relationship with others hangs on a healthy relationship with God. I remember when we were just getting started in marriage, Aaron and I really felt like we needed to get some counseling. And today, I just tell people right out in the open, every couple should have counseling. You should probably get some counseling before you even get married and not just wait till you're about to tie the knot, but like just it's at a certain point, it's just for your basic health. We call it marriage maintenance. And there's a person in our life named Dr. Miller, and he has changed my life and Aaron's life. Uh, He's altered the course of our life. That is a relationship that has absolutely shaped who I am. And I remember years and years ago, well over 12, 13 years ago, we were sitting in, in his office and and at a certain point, we were bringing our son with us, and he was just in a little carrier. And they were, there were conversations in those moments that shaped who we are today. And I remember he said this statement that's always stuck with me. He said, there's only one love triangle you should ever be a part of. And it's one with God at the top and you and your spouse here. And as you go towards God, you'll meet in the middle. Can I tell you something? You want to know how to find the one for you? Find Jesus and run after him with everything you've got. Put him in the first place. And I'm telling you, one day you'll look to your right or you'll look to your left as you're following Jesus in the plan and purpose for your life. And you'll say, wow, that person looks pretty good. I'd love to follow Jesus together with him. I'd love to follow Jesus together with her. This is how we find the people strategically that God wants to lead us to. Got to ask the better question. Here's number two. Healthy relationships, number two, happen in the right place. They happen in the right place. We've kind of established this, but we live in a culture that's looking for love in all the wrong places. And I I know sometimes we can even get frustrated with dating in the process, the dating, the waiting, all that stuff. And uh, oftentimes people will say, man, Joe, like we just need, you know, there's a lot of fish in the sea, but I don't see any in front of me. And you might feel kind of frustrated. I, I just thought I'd bring a little video to you know, make you laugh at some of your pain. Let's take a look at this real quick. I decided that I'm lonely. 
might not appear it, but um, semi-crazy. Uh, kind of your typical research mathematician, I guess. Some of the things I love are photography, travel, skiing, and cuddling. I have a very strong sense of humor. I read recently that everyone thinks they've got one, but my friends do agree that I do. You like me? Give me a call. <laughs> wow. So we're going to have a meet and greet out at the Greenwall after service. They'll all be there. Find your perfect match. I'm just having a little fun because I know, I know it's difficult. I know it's a challenge. But I really do believe over the years, I've discovered this truth that we can find the right person when we first commit to being in the right place, when we first commit to getting in the right position. I think about the opposite that happened in the life of Samson. If you're newer to the Bible, Samson was one of the judges. You can read his story in like Judges 14 through 16. Probably the strongest man that ever lived. If we believe what the Bible said, he was very strong. So much so that he won a battle, one verse a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, no less, just pretty epic. He was the manliest man you could ever think of. And he was a Nazarite. So he had this Nazarite vow, which meant that he didn't go near some things that everyday people would go near. Like one of them, he would not touch dead things. So he did not go through anything that had already, that had died. If he saw a dead animal or a dead person, there was a whole purification process that he would have to go through to go back into society if he came in touch with them, even inadvertently. Uh, another one was that he didn't date people that worshiped other gods. And then, uh, of course, didn't cut his hair. And for the sake of where we're going today, one of the ones that I think is interesting is that he did not touch alcohol and a Nazarite wouldn't even go near grapes, like not even Welch's from from the fridge, like just did not go near grapes. And, and it's interesting because here Samson is, he's coming off a really big victory and a really big win. But let's pick up in Judges chapter 16, verse four. We're gonna read one sentence from the whole story. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And you know what's interesting? I was reading this with my dad years ago and I read this a million times and I never knew what the Valley of Sorek meant. But you know what it literally translates to? It literally means the valley of the vines. And so here Samson is, a Nazarite, not even supposed to go near grapes, and he is in the middle of a vineyard. Can I just tell you something? You're never going to meet the wrong person, the right person in the wrong place. You just can't do it. Oh, but I could bring them to church and they'll meet Jesus and then everything. No, no, you're not going to meet the right person in the wrong place. And so I watch a lot of people struggle with this and I know some of y'all, maybe you even find somebody, and, and here's what happens. We sometimes have kind of this fear or this thought that like, I gotta, I gotta get while the getting's good because there's not a lot of good single people out there. And so we kind of just get desperate. And sometimes I think God even tries to deal with us in those moments when we think we found the right catch. So maybe this will help you. This is another thing that made me laugh. I wanna keep this one. We gotta throw him back. I wanna keep it. No, you can't keep it. I wanna keep it. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe that feels like you and you feel personally attacked right now. And I just want you to know we love you. We love you. You know what's interesting? I want to make this point because I think it would be so easy to, to make it feel like we're, we're labeling people that don't have the same beliefs as us as less than us. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Actually, I don't believe Delilah was the problem. I think Delilah was probably a good time. I'm sure she was nice. I'm sure she had some great personality traits. We know she was beautiful based on the Bible's description. I think, I think it was less to do with Delilah. I think it had way more to do with Dagon. 
Remember, the Bible tells us that a Nazarite was not supposed to date somebody that dated and worshiped, that worshiped other gods. And so Delilah, I don't think was the problem. I think the problem was that Delilah gave her worship to a false idol. His name was Dagon. And it's interesting when you study Dagon, he was like a merman. He was half fish and half flesh. It's interesting. Actually, in the early church, the fish had a lot of symbolism. They called it an ichthus. And, and during the persecuted church, if you were trying to have a gathering and you wanted to do it secretly, have you ever seen the fish where they do the two lines? And so those two lines, what would happen is they would come up to a door and they would write in the ground the first half of the fish. And then if a person recognized that symbol, they would draw the other half of the fish and they would know that's a believer, that's a Christ follower. And I was just thinking, I wonder how many of us, we come to church on Sunday and we're so in the fish mode, like we're so connected to Jesus and we love God and we're like, God, you can have everything. I'm surrendering my singleness to you. But then we go right outside and we live out of our flesh and it's like we're in one day and we're out the other and, and we have friends that love Jesus one day, but then we're, we're at this environment that we know doesn't honor God and then we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. And I just wanna say this, you're never gonna meet the right person in the wrong place. This is why the Bible says, don't be unequally connected with, uh, with an unbeliever. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. I have a ton of friends that don't know Jesus. I actually try to connect with them because that's what we're called to do. But I call them your Friday friends. They're your ride or dies. Who are the people that are closest in your life because they are shaping and affecting your calling? Your relationships and your connections shape your calling. I I've discovered a secret when it comes to God. If you can get to the right place, the right person will show up. And uh, I, I know this is gonna sound really simple. We're almost done, but I'm just gonna give you a really practical piece of advice, especially if you're like looking for that person and you feel like you are in that season right now. This is such great advice. Just get into God's house. Just get rooted and planted somewhere. It doesn't have to be BC. Just get into a place where people are preaching God's word and you're around people that are on the same journey, headed in the same direction, and good things will come from that. I love what Psalm 8410 says. It says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God, right place, than live the good life in the homes of the wicked, wrong place. Can you see the connection here? If you get in the right place, then you'll meet the right people. I think we ought to just say this to the person next to us. Just say this with a little conviction. Say, there's a spouse in the house. Can you say that? Ready? One, two, three. There's a spouse in the house. Now say it with a little more conviction and stick your chest out. Say, there's a spouse in the house. None of you are saying it, and I love you, and I forgive you, but there's a spouse in the house. Your spouse might be right next to you. I don't know. I don't know. Who could say? Unless, unless you're married, then that's, the, then, yeah. All right, so, okay. You remember Ruth? Remember Ruth? She walks through this very difficult thing. She's actually widowed, and she goes to this foreign country, and she loses her husband, she loses her brother-in-law, and then her father-in-law dies as well. And so Naomi, her mother-in-law, is coming back, and she's, she's giving her this advice that's really not great advice. She's saying, hey, you should just go back to your own country and worship the God you used to worship. She's saying you should go back to the wrong place and worship the wrong things. But there's something in Ruth that says, no, 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 I know better. I know better. I know the power of place. And she, she says this in Ruth 1.16, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. I like this. Think, think place. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. 
Then she turns to relationships, to people, and to worship. She says, your people will be my people and your God, my God. What's happening here? She's saying, I understand that if I get in the right place, then the right people will come. I wonder if, if Ruth would have just gone with a convenient thing. I'm sure she knew way more single people. You know, she's connected with them on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, and she knows there's more people I knew. I went to high school with this guy. I could probably end up with him. And, and we used to date. That was a high school thing. Maybe, maybe that'll be a reconnection. We'll re-spark our love. No, no, no. But she says, I'm not going with a convenient thing. I'm looking to be in the place God wants me, and then God will bring the right person into my life. All right. I just, if you haven't read the story, can I just encourage you to read this story? I just want to make sure I say this because the end result is that she meets the right person. What was his name? Boaz. And Boaz is called her kinsman redeemer. And there's this beautiful full circle thing that God does through that relationship. It all happened. It never could have happened if she wasn't in the right place first. All right, so we're, we're about to end but I have to go there. I feel God stirring me to talk a little bit about something that I know is gonna make you squirm and I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna love every second of it because I know it's gonna help you. One of the biggest problems that Christians get into happens when they put sex in the wrong place. I like to say it this way. We need to have sex inside the circle. This will be news to some of you and I'm saying it because I think it'll help you because we don't talk about this very often in church but just newsflash, God created sex, right? And he didn't just create it for procreation. Newsflash, he created it for recreation. Like it's a good thing if you have, if you have it with the right person, in the right place. But it's sex inside the circle. And so anytime it comes out of these parameters, one wife, one husband, an entire life, bad things happen. But whenever sex is inside of the circle, in the healthy place, then it's blessed and it's a good thing and it brings you closer to the person God brought into your life. I want you to think about this. The Bible references sex and it's almost like it's fire. There's, there's Proverbs where it says, would you put like coals on your lap and expect not to get burned? There, there's, there's this equation, sex is fire. It's interesting, like fire inside of a fireplace, can we all agree that's a good thing? It's a beautiful thing. It lights up our house, it warms our house. It's beautiful to look. There's just everything about it is great. Can we all acknowledge that fire outside of a fireplace will burn your house to the ground, right? It's all about having things in the right place at the right time. And so can I just encourage you, if you're feeling like, man, I, maybe I've even made some mistakes. And let me just tell you something. Aaron and I are so honest with people. We were not perfect with this in our own relationship. And there, were, there was a lot of drama and trauma that we had to get healing for because of mistakes, even that we made with each other. And I'm so thankful for God's mercy, but I want to pastor a church where we talk about these things so that we can help each other. And I would much rather have one awkward conversation that helps you get healthy so that you can walk in God's best. But it comes when we put the right thing in the right place. We're going to end with this. I, I was listening to somebody talk about one of the most common ways that people die at sea. Uh, when, when their boats, uh, you know, capsize and, and they're stranded on the water. And one of the craziest things that happens, it's the greatest of ironies. They're, they're dying of thirst surrounded by water. It's, it's crazy. And so what begins to happen is the longer that they're out there and the sun is baking down on them, the more desperate they become 
and they start to settle for salt water because it'll give them something in the moment that will quench their thirst. But here's this deadly cycle that they start to get into. They drink it and it quenches their thirst temporarily, but it actually makes them even more dehydrated and even more thirsty. And then they drink some more and they slowly die from dehydration, one drink at a time. And I feel like God was just saying to me, this is our world. This is our culture. We are, we are settling for salt water because we are thirsty. And, and we are so thirsty because we're not filled up on the right things. And so we're desperate and we'll fill up on anything. And God wants us not to settle for salt water, but to see something better. Makes me think of this other woman who was thirsty. We don't even know her name, but she was called the woman at the well. Think about this. She was thirsty in every way you can imagine. She was trying to fill the void with relationships. She had had four or five relationships with other husbands. And then Jesus reads her mail and says, you're, you're actually living with somebody that's not even your husband right now. And so she had to be, I'm just reading between the lines of scripture. She had to be insecure. She had to be broken. She had to feel like she was damaged goods. And some of you probably feel that way right now. And I just love that Jesus doesn't point out any of that as a problem. Like he could have addressed that first, but he doesn't even talk about her sin. He talks about her thirst. And so she offers him a drink of water from this well. And he says, that's great. But can I tell you something? I have some water that you can drink from that will quench your thirst fully and finally. You'll never be thirsty again. And he was talking about himself. So this is where I wanna end. I just wanna invite every person in this room, if you could, to just bow your head and close your eyes. This is all I came to say. But the very final thing I have to say, I think is quite possibly the most important. So maybe, maybe you are in that place and you'll know, but maybe there is just a part of you that's like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I am satisfied in my soul. And I have looked to guys, I've looked to girls, I've looked to partying, I've looked to pills. I've looked at anything that I can put inside of my system or any relationship that I can have. And I feel like I come up empty every time. I feel like it satisfies me for a second, but it does not satisfy my soul. I just want to invite you and give you the same invitation that Jesus gave this woman at the well and just say that, could it be that there is something better and something greater? And maybe you're just one decision away, just giving God permission to allow you to experience it. Jesus said this actually in a world that'll try to tell you there's all kinds of different ways to heaven and to the father. Jesus said something pretty countercultural. He said, no, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father in heaven except through me. He actually said, I'm the gate. I'm the door. And this is, this is what I really want to ask. Can you remember a moment in your life? Not when you went through your first communion or you were baptized or you became a member at a church. Those are all great things. There's nothing wrong with those things, but those are not the thing that help us connect with God. Can you remember a moment in your life? Let's just make it this simple. Can you remember a moment in your life when you said, Jesus, I give you permission to have your way in my life. I don't even just acknowledge that you're God, but I call you Lord. You're calling the shots in my life. I like to say it this way. You're sitting in the driver's seat. Because there's a difference between acknowledging that I believe there is a God and saying that God can have permission to call the shots in my life. And I can tell you 
that in my life, it's that permission that has allowed God to help me to find my purpose and find the people that he wants me to do life with. And so this is the first step. Jesus says, you must be born again. And today is the day of your salvation. If there's anything we've learned over the last two years, that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so I just wanna give you the most powerful invitation through the most simple question. What have you done with Jesus? And if you cannot remember a moment in your life where you've said, Jesus, I put you first. I call you my savior and my Lord. I hand control over to you and I won't be perfect and I'm gonna make mistakes and I'm gonna fall and keep getting back up, but I just wanna follow you and I acknowledge you as my savior. If you can't remember a moment in your life when you've done that, I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. And there are so many people here who have prayed that prayer and they're gonna help us. And I hope you know this. We say this all the time. There are no perfect people allowed at Believer's Church. Just people that keep getting back up, people that keep following him. And so I'm gonna give one more invitation and you can wrap this into the same prayer. If you're here and you, you feel like I have wandered away from Jesus and I cannot remember the last time I've followed him, I've walked away. And today I just feel God's calling me to come back. And this is the moment that I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer as well. And I believe a miracle will take place on the inside of you. And you can know not only are you on your way to a place called heaven someday, but God wants to bring heaven into your here and now. Not only are you rescued from a place called hell because God's not willing that one would perish, but every one of us would have everlasting life. But now you can experience God's goodness in your everyday relationships and he'll lead you and guide you in every step of your life. So it's that simple. Let's pray this and anyone who would like to pray it with me, can you repeat after me? All those who have prayed it before, can you help us? Say this, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me on the cross. Thank you that he took my place and paid the price for my sins, all the ways that I've fallen short. He gave me his best when I was at my worst. So I receive that free gift of salvation. And I won't be perfect, but every day I'll take a step closer to you. In Jesus' name, I am a Christian. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.